0: What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, joined by my co-hosts, Shu and Raul. And as part of our offseason, we thought we were kind of reflecting a little bit on K again. Um, so we decided we are going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the championship runs. We're going to break these down a little bit just so that it doesn't get too long. So today we're going to focus on 91, 92, kind of where it all really got started in terms of nationally for Duke. You know, some at the time, even that's kind of the dynasty talk really started around there. We're going to talk a little bit about some context. We're going to lead into some things. We're really going to kind of focus though more on the tournament runs. Um, and really kind of break apart like what makes a champion and how each of these teams are a little bit different. So I guess without jumping too much into it, Rule, I know you kind of took 91 and 92 and, and did some of the research on this. So I'll kind of hand it off to you and you can kind of take it however you want to here.
1: Yeah, I think the best place to start is kind of with the context leading up to it. So of course, you know, Kay takes over the program in 1980. And by 1986, he's kind of built it into a powerhouse thanks to Johnny Dawkins in that class. You know, and they lose three games all year, but then they lose the Heartbreaker in the championship game to Louisville. And then he's right back in the Final Four in 88, 89, and 90. 89, they blow a huge lead to Seton Hall in the Final Four. I think it was like 17 points or something. 1990, they get demolished by UNLV in the Final Four. And there was some context there. You know, Hurley was sick, but still UNLV was the far superior team. You know, so then they're coming back um, the next year they're not a juggernaut by any means uh you know when we think about 91 and 92 we think of them as kind of the same level of teams but there were some pretty radical differences like i think 91 lost seven games um i think they still finished first in the acc but they're only a two seed um you know and just looking at the stats they're not nearly as dominant as 92 was so they were by no means the favorite entering the uh tournament you know, and then they end up playing UNLV in the final four, and everybody kind of thinks they're going to lose. So that kind of brings me to my question about the team. I don't know. I know you guys were pretty young at the time that that happened. Mm-hmm. Though I know, Shu, you said Hurley was your kind of first favorite player, right? Yep. Yep. But uh, yeah, so UNLV, would you say that's kind of K's crowning achievement? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like his Magamopus, right? It's like
0: that was the last time I can really it's really weird in hindsight going back and looking at coverage of that and hearing that that's the biggest tournament upset of all time. And it involves Duke winning. You know, I think that just, I don't know. Maybe we'll see that again. I hope not, but maybe we'll see that again. But like now that's not even fathom, but we could be an 11 seed, and it's not considered like a big upset, right? Like it's, Carolina even beating an 8-over-1, where their program's at, that's not really considered that kind of upset. So, you know, for, for him to do that after getting beat by 30, yeah, you know, it's
2: hard to argue. It's hard to argue for sure. Oh, shoot, go ahead. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> that's just the national semifinal game. You got to turn around on Monday and summon everything you have in you and get the job done because even though you beat you on LV and it's just, uh, you know, outlandish spread point spread where we were like an 11 point underdog right mm-hmm. um, to this team and it probably should have been more I mean like you said we got beat by 30 the year before so to to come back and beat those guys and then to kind of expend all that energy and and then have to turn around and, and get the job done Monday night I, I would say yeah and it also made me think too
0: um, and I want I should go back and double check because I'm not 100% sure was Duke, okay, so it's 94, I guess. I was going to ask, is that the last time since this year that we've made a final four, not as a one seed, but I see where in, in 94, we were actually a two seed. So that just goes to show, I mean, we talked extensively this year about the importance of the one seed, what it means for us in terms of um, trying to get to that that final four and you know, it's, it's been so long ago, but in the late 80s and early 90s, it didn't matter. It seemed like, you know, two seed, three seed, whatever, and we're just something about March. K just was able to just tap into something else there.
1: Yeah, in 1990, they were a three seed, I believe. You know, and they actually, I think, had more losses than they did in 1991. Like, they had, like, eight losses or something, and they may have not even finished first in the ACC. So, that 1990 team arguably really overachieved you know, I, I was rewatching the game today, and the thing that jumps out to you is that while UNLV isn't like a lot bigger in terms of height, when you look at those players, you know their shoulders are like as broad as a house. They look like grown men. They look like ten-year NBA vets in a way that Duke doesn't. Duke looks like a college team.
2: I mean, LJ was a grown man. You know? Exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> grown. Uh, Augman, too was huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and even their guards were bigger, you know. I think uh, you know, Hunt compared to to Hurley, you know, was definitely a size because Hurley's a, you know, skinny, kind of small guy, but he held his own for sure. I mean, he had a really good game, including uh what you know Kay has said is the biggest shot in Duke history. And I kind of think I have to agree because here's another question for you. So let's say Hurley misses that shot. Duke goes on to lose the game because they were down five at the time, right? 76 to 71. And that just, I think that if they hadn't scored on that possession, it was over. Because um, they Duke had been kind of like tied or up a little bit the whole game. And then that was when uh, UNLV had gone on their run and it looked like they were going to deliver the knockout punch. So let's say that Hurley doesn't make that shot or something else goes wrong. Duke loses that game. Do you think that K eventually leaves for the NBA because he'd already been offered once in 1990 and he was offered again and that was by the Celtics. So obviously yeah. that would have been appealing, but he was offered again by the Blazers, I believe in 1994. Um, now I know that's not as quite as appealing a franchise, but let's say another team like the Celtics or Lakers comes along in that time frame in the next couple of years. And he's just, he just lost to UNLV twice And he's coached arguably the best game of his life and still come up short. You know, what do you think happens there? I mean, that's interesting to think
2: about. It's definitely a possibility. I'm glad it didn't happen, obviously. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, he would have been uh, the Duke coach, you know, over a decade by then and been to what, one, two, three, maybe four title games and not won any of them. So, I got the real curveball
0: here for you is it's not Boston and it's not LA. It's 1990. K takes over for Doug Collins in Chicago and mm-hmm. he's still the goat because he gets six with MJ, right? How about that for a twist? He becomes Phil Jackson because that would be the job that he might would take, right? Like 1990, Phil, I think Doug left in 89. So 89, 90. Phil Jackson comes in right there. If they make the call to coach K and we lose in 91 does he take that? Does he go home to Chicago? Mom's getting old, all those things, right? It's like wow, does that yeah. bull take him there and then we're living in this weird parallel universe, right? That's the um I don't think I've ever really thought about. It. it just happened to pop into my head as you're talking and I was like, "Well, wait a minute. The Bulls changed coaches right around then Chicago's home. That would be uh that would be interesting, right? Cuz we know he recruited MJ, we know we gave him the nice handwritten letter after he decided to go to Carolina and all that stuff. So, um Interesting to think about there, you know, what could have been.
1: Do you think Kay, how do you think his sort of coaching skill set matches up with Jordan? Like, because Collins kind of was an enabler for Jordan, right? He just let Mm -hmm. Jordan take all the shots and he ran the entire offense through him. Now we've seen Kay do that a little bit in the one and done era, but do you think a younger Kay would have been able to kind of rein Jordan and get him to pass a little bit more play in the team concept.
0: Yeah, that's what's interesting there. And in terms of like motivation, maybe Um, the only thing that I think that might could have worked for him is that Jordan might would have seen the same sort of just like fire and competitiveness in him that that might could have worked. But by then Jordan's already been in the league for what, six years, seven years, He's putting up like 60 on Bird and Boston in the playoffs. Like he's clearly the guy. Yeah, I don't know. I, it would have been it would have been really interesting to see because Phil comes in and, you know, like when we had, you know, Connor on last week, he was talking about K not really being known so much as the X's and O's guy. I'd push back a little bit on that. I think from that podcast, I think he's a little better than maybe we're talking about there, but given the context known for being a motivator, whereas Phil is known for being able to motivate and push buttons. But he's also known for the triangle, which was basically his own sort of kind of system. Probably what doesn't work that great now, maybe. But then it worked at such a high level. I mean, I guess if you can adapt it like Kerr did, it, it can still work. I'm, I'm curious who all else was on that team in 90. I'm not sure who all had gotten there yet. But that's when the the bad boy Pistons, I think, were beating up on the Bulls pretty hard around
2: then. So, yep, Yeah, Detroit still won
1: Eight, 89 to 90. Yeah. And was, yeah. Uh, Pippen was already on the team at that point, right? And he got there, yeah, 90 to
0: 91. Yeah, 89, 90, somewhere, yeah, somewhere, somewhere like in
1: that ballpark, I think. <laughs> yeah. The reason I ask is because K's system at that time and, you know, for decades after really was that kind of aggressive overplay defense. You can imagine Jordan and Pippen both being beasts in that. Um, and then, you know, later, if they still get Rodman, he would have been perfect for it, too. But of course, that wasn't, you know, until several years later. But, you know, Jordan was like, he led the league in steals a couple times. And Pippen is one of the greatest perimeter defenders of all time. So maybe it would have worked on that level just defensively. Or just 86 Johnny Dawkins at Duke, right? Like, that's not that long that wouldn't
0: have been that far removed from that, I would imagine he would probably try to play MJ in the same kind of fashion, right? Just as the lead guard can do it all, but you have the green light.
1: Another thing I kind of wanted to talk about was what I thought might be the difference between 1990 and 1991. Obviously, there was the motivation from having lost in that humiliating fashion, but you know, I think a lot of people, a lot of fans would probably point to Grant Hill, correct? Yep.
0: Yeah, I think Grant's the obvious. I also think the maturity of Bobby Hurley, too, right? Like, freshman Bobby Hurley, sophomore Bobby Hurley, like he, a lot of turnovers, a lot of reckless play. And and I think they've talked about that a lot. Like, Bobby talks about like how Coach just letting play through it, letting learn through his mistakes. I think that really kind of put us over the top. Maybe, you know, obviously Grant's probably the best player we've ever had come through Duke, right? So that's to be said, but
2: I don't know. Bobby was special, man. Yeah, I mean, I think just from an athletic standpoint, not to diminish or, you know, talk bad about Bobby Hurley or, I mean, Christian Lehner, obviously they're terrific athletes, but you had somebody like Grant Hill, who's pretty much bred, you know, his father was a NFL star. So, you know, you had somebody with that kind of athleticism in their background to the team. I think that just kind of carried us over the top there.
1: Another big thing was uh, Thomas Hill's improvement. Yeah. He went from being like a three-point-per-game guy to, you know, I think the third-leading scorer on the team maybe after Leitner and McCaffrey, which is interesting. A lot of people probably don't remember that Caffrey, McCaffrey was the second-leading scorer on that team. But yeah, so T. Hill, um, he was like, you know, he he more than tripled his scoring average. He starts shooting 40% from three. That was big, too. And then he's a hell of a defender, you know, just like just like Grant Hill was, just like Brian Davis was. And that was another thing that jumped out to me was that has to be our best collection of wings, of kind of interchangeable big wings ever. You know, you have Lang, both Hills, and Davis. So you have all these like six, five to six, eight guys who are kind of, you know, interchangeable defensively. And of course, Duke at the time wasn't doing a lot of switching because that just didn't happen back then. But I don't think we really saw that again until maybe late 90s, maybe 2001. And then I guess uh, in 2019, you could argue we had that too with the three mm-hmm. main guys. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a model that I would love to get back to just kind of all these six, 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 eight guys. And look at what it did
0: for our transition game in 91, right? Like Hurley was able to do a lot more, but that's because you have two hills streaking down the baseline. Either one of them you know, ninety-one, who's Hurley throwing that lob to in the in the championship game? You know, if Grant's not there, who's catching that? No one, right? Like that's what that does for you it allows him that <laughs> yeah that our secondary break, which just, was just absurd.
1: Yeah, that was another big thing that jumped out to me was just the pace. I don't think um there's been a guard before or since a Duke who's pushed it like that. Um Mm-mm. you know maybe Tyus Jones at points, but I don't think he was, as you know, he, he had the the long outlet passes to speed things up, but I don't think he was as fast just coast to coast as Hurley was. It's Kyrie and that's it to me, I think. Right. The
0: only one that really could just catch it and just go and just really just do whatever he wanted to with the ball. Um, Jay will and no
2: one. Yeah, Jay will was close you know, to that for sure. Especially once Boozer got hurt, and we'll get to that later, but they yeah. really picked up the pace and was just, you know, running and gunning from then. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Ian O'Connor had an interesting kind of anecdote in his book about that, which I'm sure we'll talk about in two thousand one, just the decision to completely change the style of play and lean into this kind of ultra modern thing that is still really ahead of its time. Like even now, I think uh, you know, the last several Duke teams haven't taken as many threes as that two thousand one team did. And you you saw the beginnings of that even in ninety one. I mean, uh Hurley was taking almost five threes a game, which for the time period would have been pretty unusual. I think, um, should we move on to 92 or you guys got anything else on
0: 91? I mean, I think it's always nice to just throw a little jab at Roy, right? Right. 91 <laughs> to be able to beat him head to head. And, uh, we, we all, we got so close to having the Duke Carolina title game there set up for us too. But, uh, yeah, I don't think that. Um, I know Kay had talked a little bit about like after we beat UNLV, where he walks in the locker room, he says, These guys aren't ready. They're not going to win. He comes back in, like, he comes back out. They're all huddled at midcourt. And he's like, Okay, we're going to win a championship. It, it really just reminds me, of, and we've seen it over the years of some of those moments where like Winslow and 15 talking to Cat Barber, are just like, You guys aren't ready for this. Um, and the game was relatively close, like final score wise, but like watching that, that Duke Kansas game, it just seemed like we were just a far better team, like right out of the gate for the most part. But
1: yeah, looking up and down their looking up and down their roster, you're like, you know, I don't really know any of the names, you know, and it's like, they're running all their offense through this guy, Randall, you know, it's just like a bunch of, you know, typical Roy offense, like, uh, you know, over the top kind of, um, High low passes to get him like layups and stuff. And he's a good post player, but he didn't go on to do anything, you know. And obviously, he's nowhere near Leitner's skill level, uh, you know, with Leitner being able to step out and hit threes and take people off the dribble and all that. So it was interesting to just look at it and, you know, see kind of how, speaking of jabs, spe- how little Roy's offense evolved over 30 years. Mm <laughs> hmm. It's basically just the same exact thing. Uh, The pace wasn't quite as crazy because he didn't have like a Ty Lawson type point guard, but still that kind of secondary break, you know, feed everything through the post kind of offense. Um, You could just kind of tell, you know, they they I think they hovered within kind of that three to seven point range most of the game, and so it was a respectable game for sure. But we just had enough to keep them at bay. And it just felt like we were just fighting exhaustion more than we were fighting them,
0: or not exhaustion, but like the layover of the UNLV almost a little bit more. Kind of like the same thing happens next year. I won't, you know, spoil that a little bit, but it's kind of the same thing, right? Like after Kentucky, then having to go beat Michigan after UNLV, having to go beat Kansas, Um, which in its own way makes it even more impressive.
1: Yeah, I mean, on that note, I mean, I think that is kind of the story of nineteen ninety two how hard it is to repeat and kind of stay hungry and uh you really saw that after the you know kentucky game uh you know obviously when you think of 1991 you think of unlv when you think of 1992 you think of uk right um Mm -hmm. but yeah and people rarely think of the games that came after those and it's it really took its toll on leitner particularly i mean you know uh any Duke fan who knows about those seasons has probably kind of heard the stories about that. Like, you know, Leitner in uh, the Indiana game, I believe he has, was that the one he had seven turnovers or was that? Oh, so against Indiana, he goes two of eight. And then, so then seven turnovers versus Michigan. I believe those were all in the first half or something crazy, or like six of them were. Um, And that's when, of course, uh, Bobby Hurley got him. Yep. Yeah, but uh, looking at that team in general, like they were a juggernaut in a way that the te- one team just wasn't. Um, you know, they go 37 and two, um, they average 88 points per game, they average 18 assists, and one of the things that impressed, impressed me the most looking at their stats was 29 free-throw attempts. So for comparison, I mean, I know the pace is different, but the 2022 Duke team uh, averaged 17 free throw attempts. So that gap is just massive. And, you know, you think about, and they shot 74% as a team. So if you want to talk about a way to get efficient offense, go to line 30 times and hit 74% of your free throws.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we shot what, uh, I'm just looking at it now, almost 44% as a team from three in 92. That's just wild.
1: We didn't take a ton, you know. No, we didn't take a ton. I think uh, Leitner took like three a game, which is high for a big man. Um, Hurley takes like four and a half a game or something. Yeah. Um, And then everybody else is like under two, basically. But but still, that kind of efficiency, I think we shot like 56% from two-point range as well. You know, and that's there's just a lot of scoring at the rim with all those uh, you know, great athletes who are kind of able to attack the basket and forcing so many turnovers too meant that we were getting a lot of stuff at the rim in transition. But yeah, I think we were uh wire to wire number one, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we
0: lost and still stayed number one twice, I guess, technically, right?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at yeah, I'm pulling it up here, number one in every single week. And it's it's because when we did lose, we lost to good teams and we lost by uh, a total of six points all year. So I think a two point loss to Carolina and like maybe a four point loss to Wake yeah, Forest. Both on the road, yeah. So where would you guys put um their kind of historical dominance, the ninety two team? Do you think we think about them highly enough? in terms of, like, all-time great teams? Or do they kind of deserve more recognition as, you know, one of the best ever? I mean, for me, as a Duke fan,
2: obviously, you know, it's hard to repeat, like you said, hadn't been done since the 70s, since UCLA had done it. Um, But you also got to think, Leitner doesn't hit that shot, you know, very easily that we didn't even make it to the Final Four, and that doesn't happen, you know, so... Um they're not a juggernaut to me like the the 99 team, and that's a sore subject for all of us. You know, those guys just kind of breeze through people and then got all the way to the championship game and, and fell what a point, two point short of the UConn. Three, so, I think, right?
0: Three, 77, yeah. 74.
2: Yeah. So not that I, you know, remember.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to tell off the top of your head, of course. So I'm kind of putting you guys in a corner here, but when I was thinking about it, I had 1991 UNLV, yep, uh, 1999 Duke, and this is in no particular order, though I would put these those two at the top in some order, um, and then 15 Kentucky, fifteen Kentucky would be like below those, I think, because they were so great on defense, but they weren't a particularly great offensive team. Um, but yeah, so fifteen Kentucky, you know, they're undefeated at the point when Wisconsin beats them. Uh, so those three. Who Else, who else would you have kind of on the list along with uh 92 Duke and uh you know anybody else that comes to mind? 86, right? I mean, mm-hmm. just 37 and three, that team
0: was really good. I don't know though, I actually kind of lean the other way a little bit and think that we don't look at 92 as probably as fondly as maybe we should have, really. When we think, I think we, we just we lump it together as like, oh, that's just the back to back but it's just so hard to do it. And it's, I'm looking at like, and I don't want to get hung up just on Leitner here, but we talk about efficiency a lot. And the NBA has gotten really big in the last like 10 years or so on the 50, 40, 90 as being like the gold standard. And, you know, Leitner, why didn't hit the 90? He is sitting here at 58, 56, 82, which is just stupid, especially when he just won the national championship. He's the best player in the sport and he's getting everyone's best shot. To me, that is just kind of ridiculous. And not many of our games were even close and we're the ones that are just getting hunted. And even in the tournament, like we had the Kentucky and the Indiana, like back to back where we kind of like laid eggs a little bit, or they were able to kind of like match us at that peak. But then we turn right around and we blow out Michigan. We blow out Seton Hall, which, you know, now when you think about beating Seton Hall, that's not that big of a deal. If you go back and watch late 80s, early 90s Seton Hall, that's like they could have been Duke, right? Like they were there every time, every year, going deep in the tournament. And so, you know, we we beat the brakes off of pretty much everyone else. And that was a PJ close. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a good coach to do a program like that. To do that. Yeah. And that was so, before PJ got choked out by Latrell Sprewell. Yeah,
0: that was, uh, and so, you know, when I go back and think of it in that way, and I also, when's the last time we averaged even anything close to 88 points a game?
2: Oh, yeah, there's right. 91 and 01. Right, right, but yeah. that was, like, an
0: historic, like, we yeah. just
2: was launching, right? Yeah. Like, it was, but to average, you know,
0: 88 points a game, like, I don't know, man, that's pretty, uh, it's pretty juggernaut status, one-to-one, run the tables, on. I don't. I would take ninety-two Duke over any other Duke team that that we have. Probably, if you're telling me to pick, like, okay, it's a one game, it's the NCAA tournament, ninety-two Dukes on this side of the bracket. You put anyone on the other side, I'm probably taking ninety-two, man.
2: Well, you think about it like this too. I mean, even since then, there's only been one other team win back to backs. That was yep. Florida, you know. Yep. So, um, did you they see return- how they do it, or
0: did they just go back to back, or they just?
2: No, they didn't do it. Would they win ninety-five? Ninety-five. Yeah. Yeah, they would have yeah, been in right. Twins. Yeah. And then Kentucky won 96. That's right. Kentucky could have won back-to-back. Arizona right. spoiled at 97, then Kentucky won again
1: at 98. Yeah, I
2: could have three-peated. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, Kentucky in 97 was really good. Yeah. Uh, I was looking at some stats the other day, and they were, uh, you know, I, I like to pull up the Ken Palm stats and look at his sort of historical uh, data there. And like you 1990- go back that far? Uh, yeah. in the, in the premium thing, it's not like, it's not like in list form, it's just this chart. So it's kind of hard to read, but, um, uh, 1997 Kentucky's up there at like 35 adjusted efficiency, which, you know, yeah. I mean, anything above 30 is great. Uh, Duke 1999 is like 43, which is absurd. Like nobody else has even come close to that. Uh, 2015 Kentucky is 37. So that kind of gives you a context. So the fact that 97 Kentucky was almost at that level, you know, they were equal to kind of more like uh, 98 Duke or 98 UNC were both uh, insanely strong teams too. So yeah, those were some of my nominations for like other great teams, you know, regardless of whether they had won it. Um, You know, 2007 Florida, I guess you could say, I don't think that they really have the, uh, it doesn't stack, resume. man.
0: It doesn't stack at yeah. all. Not at all. Like, just look at the schedule from '92. Like, we, just mm. imagine a modern-day Duke team playing six conference games and then being like, "We're going to go on the road to LSU and play number 22 with Shaq, right?" And then after that, we're going to play seven more ACC games and then we're going to go to number four UCLA and play in the Poly Pavilion and beat their ass like that. When do we do that now? If we we like, that's oh, just not even fathomable. Looks
2: right. like John might start doing that. I hope he gets the
0: same results. (laughs) (laughs) But we just went away from that completely.
1: Yeah, I miss those uh, sort of stacked non-conference schedules. And then especially the the non-conference game that would happen in the middle of ACC play, just the random non-conference game. I know we can't bring it back now because it's like, you know, we got 20 conference games. We can't squeeze a game in there. But, you know, that was always a pretty cool thing just to see where we were at relative to national competition like halfway through the ACC season and also does right. kind of break up the monotony of like okay we just played Georgia Tech last week now we're going to play them again
2: yeah I feel like we play Clemson every year like <laughs> in consecutive weeks like we play them on Friday and turn around and play them on exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: yeah yeah and not these aren't just like non-conference because we for a little while we had the St. John's and I think we had like a few other ones in there in the like mid to late 2000s, but nothing that I can ever remember where we're going on the road for both of them and not like neutrals, but like on the road, um, you know, this is Poly pavilion for number four, UCLA. Like that's just wild to think. And we went now. and played
2: the fab five at Michigan. I think we played them home and away. Didn't we? Yeah. We had them come to Cameron too. The next year though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was like
2: December or
0: something.
1: Yeah. They never beat us. Correct. Nope. Nope. And yet, and yet, they're still out there talking trash.
0: You got to talk about something, I guess.
1: (laughs) Can't talk about winning. Yeah, ain't that?
0: But yeah, I mean, that's just not to like just you know steal the mic, but just looking through the schedule again, it's just wild to see that level of like um, aggressive non-con. But then again, I guess the early part of the schedule and the non-cons not as heavy. Whereas now, it's we play what like three top fifteen teams by November by Thanksgiving, basically. (laughs)
1: And the thing too was not only was the schedule difficult, think about the players that were there. Because um, you mentioned uh, Leitner, right? Um, you know, and this is a kind of obvious point, but he would be gone after one year at this point. Um, you know, if he was to enter college now, the reason he was able to shoot, you know, whatever you said, 56, 58, or 58, 56, 80, whatever, 82. 82. Yeah. 82. yeah um, was because. He had been ready for the NBA for multiple years already, you know. Uh, but he happened to still be in college. How many years did Shaq play in college? Uh, Ooh, not the full four, question. but not just did. one. Two, two or
0: three. It was two or three. Yeah. yeah. Um. He was a junior in '92. Yeah. So Waitner's right. not beating up on 18-year-old Shaq. He's beating up on like a year later that Shaq dunking
1: on everyone with Penny Hardaway. So. <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like a lot of the players who left early at that point were leaving as juniors, not typically as a you know Jordan left as a junior. Um, did Worthy leave early? Uh, somebody else for Carolina did too, but um, you know, it yeah, I think Vance
0: left after his junior year too, but that was a little bit like obviously
1: right. Yeah, you n- you just never saw you never saw one and dones really. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of it balances out a little bit because you have Leitner there longer than he probably should be, and we'll put that in air quotes, should, right? Like, you know, it's all the decision of the player, in my opinion. But Mm -hmm. um, you're balancing that against Shaq being there multiple years. You're balancing that against, like, Glenn Rice or whatever. You're balancing that against all the, you know, Elijah Wan and uh, Duncan. And, you know, and it's not really till, I guess, the late 90s that you're really seeing a lot of departures, like a significant amount. It was just like one here and there before that.
2: Yep. It was about money, you know, obviously still is. But, I mean, Isaiah Thomas talked about it. His rookie contract for the Pistons was worth like $28,000. You know, now you think about a rookie contract now, you know, of course you're going to jump at it. Um, So back then, it wasn't quite as appealing. Um, And going back to Leitner, you know, being you know, ready for the NBA. He didn't even really seem like he wanted to leave Duke. I mean, you see his, you know, his, his last speech to the team, the banquet, and, you know, he's about to be in the NBA, um, a millionaire. Yeah, that's a bit, if you haven't seen that, I highly recommend trying to find that on YouTube
0: somewhere of when he says, you know, I like playing for Duke, but I love playing for Coach K, right? Yeah. Like that's, I
1: love Duke, but that's the guy that I would run through the wall for, so. Speaking of Leitner um, and his NBA career, how do you guys feel that he would have done in the NBA and kind of uh, this modern era? Do you think
2: I thought you were going to say a better situation than Minnesota? Yeah. Well, that too, but you know, he still
1: kind of probably should have transcended that situation and there's obviously injuries and I'm not going to say he had a bad career, you know, I think an all-star team. Right, right, right. Exactly. I think that a lot of, people underestimate his NBA career. You know, he had a couple seasons averaging kind of the high teens there, which especially in that era is like a lot more significant. That's like averaging 23, 24 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was kind of thinking about this in the context of like a a Carl Anthony Towns or something. And just look at how the NBA has unlocked him now. And then you watch Leitner play in college and you kind of see a lot of similarities to the way Current Carl Anthony Towns plays. And, and I'm not saying that he would have been like, you know, one of the best shooting bigs ever the way the Towns is. But it's kind of interesting to think about like he's a player who might actually have benefited more from this era. So maybe you can swap him with Jillaloca for. Right, exactly. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. And see what happens to both. Because <laughs> even then, like if you think about like just and I had to pull up the the stats reference and stuff. Leitner, I feel like his pro career, he gets kind of unfairly criticized a little bit just because of how good he was in college. But just like looking at this, so his I'm going to just read off his first five years. So rookie year, he averages 18 and nine, second year, 17 and nine, 16 and eight, 16 and seven, 18 and seven, 14 and eight, 18 and nine, and then 14 and seven. And then he goes to Detroit, gets injured, gets bounced around a little bit. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, eight straight. His first eight years in the league. Now he had some injuries for a few of those seasons he only played thirty or forty games or so. But that's still eight straight seasons where he's basically doing what he
2: did at Duke, numbers wise. So it's, you know? it's all relative to expectations, right? Right, right. So you know he was the the national player of the year, two time national champion. So you, he's probably expected to be. You're going to be a a multi-year all-star, right? Um, and so did he, that didn't happen. Maybe he's unfairly because obviously when you read off those stats, um, they're it's, it's pretty good stats to put up in the NBA, but we haven't had a lot of guys doing do like, is Austin Rivers putting up those numbers his first eight years? Oh, RJ's not doing that. Yeah. Right, so. right. There's
0: a lot of guys that aren't putting up that kind of, I mean, that's, you know, so you're right. I think relative to expectations, it's, Maybe not quite what you would expect, but you know, maybe if he didn't go to Minnesota, who knows what happens?
2: It's certainly not a
1: bust, you know, in in my opinion. I think it was just this kind of reputation that Duke was getting at the time of producing these amazing college players, who then, for whatever reason, just weren't quite hitting that kind of Hall of Fame level ceiling as uh, pros. But yeah, he. He'd probably be considered at that time, i I don't know, but like he, he must have been one of the top kind of ten big men in the nBA at that point if he's at, if he's putting up seventeen and seven every year, oh and just think
0: too of what he did. So coming out of Duke and having that, right? And then he goes to Minnesota four of his first five years in Minnesota. He has a different coach, so four out of the first five only one coach lasted more than one year those first five years. They lose over sixty games, four out of five of those years. That's tough, right? Like you're coming off of 90, 91, 92 dream team. And then, Hey, welcome to Minnesota. We're going 15 and 67, you know, it's like, that is, and then the next year we're going 19 and 63 and then 20 and 62 and then 21
2: and 61. That's yeah, no, that's pretty brutal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to go from playing in four or five, I mean, went to a final four every year he was in college. In Mister.
1: Kumbor, I mean, three championship games. So, and anybody who knows anything about him knows, like, that he's the most competitive person of all time, too. So, right. I can only imagine he was miserable up there in Minnesota. You know, and like for sure, yeah. I guess at least yeah. he was from like upstate New York, right? I believe yeah, Buffalo. Yeah, so he's used to the cold weather, um, and the kind of miserable, kind of rundown factory town, you know, kind of atmosphere. But, um. Let's yeah. just
2: dump on every city in America. Right? I know. Yeah, right, we'll right. just, just <laughs> crush them all. Too. <laughs> okay. But then also the,
1: the Bulls <laughs> and the <laughs> Jordan thing <laughs> too, right?
0: Like, <laughs> the, the Bulls and the Jordan narrative. So that definitely didn't help. You mentioned the Duke kind of, Duke can't get it done in the NBA. And so we're coming off of that. He's going in the league and then Jordan's just owning the league. So that makes it kind of a, a moot point there. But yeah,
1: you know, so this is the the Feel Good for Leitner podcast. You know, We, we still love you, big guy. All right, so I guess to uh, sum up or kind of bring things back around, I just wanted to ask you guys: when you think of '91 and '92, you know, and I, again, I know you guys are a little bit younger than me, but what do you most think of as fans, or what's your first memory of those teams? For me,
0: it's mainly all through pictures and like old VHS recordings. Like, you know, I was two years old at the time. Um, but one of my favorite pictures of me and my dad is right after '91; we win it. And I'm wearing a Duke onesie. And my dad's got this old school, like 90s trucker hat. It's white. It's got the big Duke. It's kind of like back in style now, right? Um, but he's he's hugging me. And that's like our picture there. And, but I really think of it as more like later on as like a 7, eight, nine, 10 year old. And all throughout our house are these Coke bottles of like Duke 91, 92. There's posters of like back to back. My dad has all the shirts of the back to back stuff. So it lingered for like a decade for us, right? Like that 91, 92 carried us through. I mean, to this day, my dad still talks about Bobby Hurley. I wore a number 11 for everything that I did um, up until I started playing baseball. Then I had to shift to 10 for chipper. But, you know, <laughs> that was like, and I didn't even really know those teams other than through stories of like my grandpa and my dad talking about it. But um, it definitely, I, I talked trash like I was there, you know, that was, so it stayed with you as a kid as
2: you know the dynasty but shoot you're a little bit older than me so maybe you remember a little bit more yeah i mean i guess if i close my eyes and i'm if i was gonna think about it i I just see grant going up to catch that alley from bobby in the kansas game and me and my neighbor travis like trying to recreate that on like a little you had a swing set that had like a basketball goal on the end of it it's probably only like six foot high but i mean when you're seven years old you're three foot tall so mm-hmm. you're trying to throw alley oops each other and, and recreate that uh i think we spent like four hours trying to do that one afternoon and still couldn't dunk on a four foot goal so but that's what i think about
1: yeah for me it's a kind of running out of my house so we had a we had an actual basketball hoop and there was you know it was paved and everything it was a hoop that my stepdad had built like he'd uh literally built the backboard and stuff it was actually pretty nice um but yeah running out of the house immediately after that shot and just in the dark there you know i think we had a little like uh, uh, automatically triggered floodlight that would come on but you had to stay moving and you had to stay within the realm of the light otherwise it would turn off so i kept having to kind of go back into the light there <laughs> and just like shooting for you know an hour and kind of like trying to reenact the shot in the bad way that uh, Chris Farley does for SNL. Probably. Yeah. Somewhere <laughs> and that's how it happens. And
0: <laughs> Gets his rebound.
1: <laughs> <Just> going off. <laughs> Hell yeah.
0: Yeah. Shouts to Chris Farley. Yeah. I mean, you know, so we spent kind of about an hour here really talking about it, but you know, 90s nostalgia is in too. So when I think back of all of those teams, it's just, it. it almost seems like, 91 and 92. And I said it earlier, like it was the whole decade almost for me as a Duke fan, right? Like every time when I was talking to older Duke fan, it was just such a reference point. And, you know, my favorite basketball player of all time is Steve Nash. And so that's a direct kind of like evolution from Bobby Hurley for me almost, right? So I grew up hearing about Bobby and then watching Steve Nash play. And, just, you know, I'd love to have another guy like that, right? A guy that's just averaging eight, nine assists a game over three, like that. We just won't see that probably again.
1: Yeah, I guess the closest we saw was uh, Kendall Marshall for UNC, yeah. and then very he different, goes pro but early. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he goes pro early, but he could have he could have potentially broken Bobby's record. But I think that'll never be shattered because you're sure. just not gonna anybody that's gonna average nine assists, eight assists, whatever. Like they're not going to be there for very long. What
2: was Lonzo Ball putting up
1: at UCLA his freshman year? I feel like. He,
2: so I remember some of the, the McDonald's game, like he was he was just phenomenal as
1: court vision. So, I, you know, obviously he didn't play for four years. Yeah, I mean, it had to be close to it. But to your point, yeah, it's like, you know, just like him and Kendall Marshall are similar in a lot of ways in that they're these tall point guards with fantastic vision. And just that alone was enough to make them, you know, fairly coveted draft picks. Like I think Kendall Marshall, though he kind of flamed out, he ended up going up... Uh, respectively high right he's like 17th in the draft or something
0: yeah. yeah that sounds right yeah that would have been what 2012 draft
1: yep. there. yeah right well. so i don't think you're going to see another point guard like that um but yeah for me also i i think that the early 90s is that's that's k's like magic era right that's his like him at his peak mm-hmm. so when i when i think about that era i think about that is the greatest version of K that there ever was, and there were some other great versions of K. You know, you have the late '90s, early 2000s. K was pretty great too,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then he had a little resurgence, kind of between you know 2010 and 2015 as well. But uh, you know, again, not quite as strong. But seven Final
2: Fours and nine seasons is yeah, exactly. Only something what like UCLA's ever done, right? Right. Like, a little different when you're the hunter you know, instead of being the hunted when you're really pursuing.
0: And, you know, he talks about that, like prioritizing moments, chasing moments, not looking back, but it's hard to, there's a human element too. you know, once you've been to the top that many times and you're just trying to maintain staying up there, it's much harder than it is like the pursuit.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, any other coach who's even gotten close to that, they have not managed to win as many titles overall like we saw you know Izzo have a great run of Final Fours we saw Cal recently have a pretty good run of Final Fours but they've each come away with one total title the ability to break through in 91 and really kind of open the floodgates like that was you know a huge thing that separated him well,
0: I guess that's a, you know, unless someone's got anything else, I guess we'll kind of wrap this one up. Um, you know, obviously we covered 91, 92 pretty in depth. And so we'll come back and we'll probably just focus on 01, probably talk a little bit about the lead up to that, really dive into that. That's one of my favorite Duke teams of all time. Probably a lot of us in this age group, that one just really stands out. So, uh, so yeah, hopefully you all enjoy these. You know, it's the downtime, it's the off season. So we figured we kind of just... Relive Kay's greatness one more time as we transition into John, and hopefully, we'll get another guest on here this summer. Um, but yeah, you know, in the meantime, you keep the faces strong in the Verve
2: Eye.